Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey everyone, it's Rena Jadif with the Health Bootcamps program, and I'm excited that you are listening in to our book masterclass on Dr. Neil Bernard's program for reversing diabetes, which originally came out in 2007 and is now in a revised edition as of 2018. And of course, it also has a beautiful cookbook as an add-on new book that Dr. Neil Bernard has come out with. Today, on this particular interview, we're going to talk about Chapter 1. Dr. Neil Bernard, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. So let's start with Chapter 1, which is the new basic is the title. How do I know if I have diabetes? Um, Diabetes is relatively simple to diagnose. with, With most people, the problem is they never actually went to their doctor to even get the diagnosis. But what your doctor is going to do... Um, is going to do uh, one of two blood tests. Um, the older, fat, more old-fashioned one is blood glucose. But more and more are using something called A1C, hemoglobin A1C. And that's a measure of your blood sugar control over the past three months or so. More and more people are using that. And here are the numbers. If your uh, A1C is below 5.7, you don't have diabetes, you don't have pre-diabetes, you're fine. If you're at 5.7, your doctor is going to say, uh-oh, you don't have diabetes yet, but that's a sign that your blood sugar is getting too high. And if it's 6.5 or above, that's diabetes. So those are the numbers that you need to know. Um, the good news is that these numbers will change. So while we used to think once you've got diabetes, that's it, we now know that you can change your diet and your lifestyle and you can get those numbers back down. So a person with prediabetes can go back to not having it. A person with diabetes can improve too. In some cases, they can get rid of it as well. So clearly one is testing. What about symptoms? Um, I personally experienced a lot of these interesting symptoms when I was starting to see some insulin imbalances. Dr. Neil, can you share for someone who hasn't gotten tested yet but is thinking, you know, I wonder if I should get tested, what should they be looking out for? Great. Um, the classic symptoms that we look for are, number one, you're tired. Now, a lot of people are tired. It's so nonspecific. There's a million reasons to be tired. But the reason that people are tired when they got diabetes is that sugar glucose powers your muscles. And in diabetes, the sugar isn't getting into the muscles. It's staying out in the blood. And so if your muscles don't have their fuel, you feel tired. Um, symptom number two, you're in the bathroom a lot. It's simply put, you're peeing a lot. What's that about? Um, If you have too much sugar in your blood, sooner or later that sugar goes through the kidneys and it carries a lot of water along with it. And so you're urinating a whole lot. Symptom number three, you're thirsty. And that's simply because you're losing all that water. So you go to the doctor and you say, I'm tired all the time. I'm in the bathroom so much and I'm really thirsty. And the doctor says, They told me about this in medical school. Let's do a blood test. And the doctor looks at the numbers and says, you've got diabetes or you got pre-diabetes or you don't. Um, But those are the classics. Now, big caution. A lot of people have diabetes without any symptoms at all. 
Oh. And their, yes, their first symptom is a blood test oh. um, that said you've got diabetes. It's very, very common now, becoming more common all the time. But many people do have those symptoms. Um, there can be late symptoms too, where you had a wound that didn't heal very well, things like that. But that, that's really pretty much it. You mentioned something very interesting, which is people might not have symptoms at all. So at what age do you recommend people just go get tested in case they're curious about whether they're starting to see some, some imbalances? Yeah. Well, first of all, anybody who doesn't feel well really should get tested because uh, getting a blood sugar test mm. is so easy, so cheap. And you're, you might be getting a cholesterol test or something else anyway. It's the easiest thing in the world for them to also check how your blood sugar control is doing. Um, if you're overweight, um, for just about anybody, we used to always say kind of anybody over 40, you want to have a higher index of suspicion. Okay. We're changing that now because we're starting to see type 2 diabetes in kids. Oh, no. Never used to see it. Now we do. Uh, kids 16, 15, 14 years of age are starting to get it. It's not because their genes are changing. It's all because of food. Nonetheless, um, despite how troubling it can be to know that kids are at risk for things like diabetes, that's the time when it's easiest to intervene. Oh. As, as long as the kids and their parents are willing to think, think this through. Okay. Imagine if, if you have a child, let's say kids pick up cigarettes. They're 16 years old and they're walking home from school and they're smoking cigarettes. You think, oh, that kid's at risk for lung cancer. Yeah, sure, true. But if that kid stops smoking and stays cigarette-free, do you think they're going to get lung cancer? Very likely not. So when you had a shot across your bow, which is you got a high blood sugar when you're 16 years old, and if the whole family together says, wait a minute, we don't eat very well. Right. Come on, team. Let's ramp it up. Um, all of that can change. And it can change very well, and not just for the kid. It can change for, for the brothers, the sisters, the parents, the honest the, the whole family culture will change. I love that. I love that. All right, chapter two. Dr. Neal, so how can we reverse type 2 diabetes? What is the new understanding of the cause? When we look at diabetes, it's clear there's too much sugar in the blood. That's, that's what diabetes is all about. So until fairly recently, people kind of naively assumed it came from eating sugar or I'm eating too much carbohydrate, which digests to release sugar in the blood. So, so people thought, well, that was the cause. And then they thought, well, the answer is just don't eat carbohydrate. Um, and that will bring your sugar down a little bit. However, following that low carbohydrate approach, for the most part, people didn't get a lot better. Um, with using magnetic resonance imaging, an MRI, um, we have had an opportunity to actually look inside the cells of the body, and there we found something amazing. It turns out the whole reason why sugar is building up in the blood is because it can't get into the muscle cells and into the liver cells where it belongs. Why not? Because there's something in those muscle cells oh. and in those liver cells that's stopping the sugar from getting in. What is that? It's microscopic fat particles that came from foods. So to put it short and sweet, you ate a chicken salad sandwich with a slice of cheese and a bunch of French fries for lunch, and the fat particles went from your digestive tract into your blood, into your muscle cells, and as they build up in the muscle cells, sugar can't get in anymore. Um, so what we have done in our research facility here is change that. 
So I'll take the animal products out of your diet. Suddenly there isn't any beef fat or chicken fat anymore at all. There's no cheese anymore. And if I keep vegetable oils low as well, there's not a lot of any kind of fat and the fat drains out of the cells. And then the glucose can now go in, the blood sugar falls, the diabetes in some cases just flat out goes away. In other cases it's better, but not quite gone. So um, that's what we call reversing diabetes. Oh my God, that's actually brilliantly simple. And it really is uh, some, some simple core changes to your diet. And I think that's where your cookbook probably comes in handy. So carbs are no longer to blame? That's right. Now, that's not to say that every carb is a healthy carb. No, carbohydrates run the whole range from really healthy foods like beans and brown rice and sweet potatoes and so forth, all the way to potato chips and cake and, and that kind of thing. But as a group, carbohydrate is not the devil at all. In fact, Carbohydrate releases the glucose your, your cells need. The problem in diabetes is that that glucose can't get into the cell and it's building up in the blood. So that's the whole big problem. So if I want to reverse diabetes, I'm going to do three things. Number one, I want to avoid all the animal fats. That means keep the animal products out. So I'm going to make you into a vegan. Okay. Now that sounds like a tall order, but <laughs> in, in later segments, we're going to talk about how to make that not only doable, but actually fun because all the side effects are great. I mean, it's the best way to lose weight, get your blood pressure down and so forth. But that's number one, get animal products gone. Number two, we're going to reduce vegetable oils also. And number three, I'm going to pick the healthy carbohydrates because white bread, uh, there's other kinds of bread that could be a little bit better. Um, the choices are really easy and quick to make. What's a healthy carbohydrate? Okay, um, if I feed you white bread, mm. your blood sugar is going to go up pretty quickly. Let's say I change it to rye. Well, your blood sugar doesn't go up quite so much. Let's say I go to pumpernickel, even less. Um, let's say I give you a white baking potato. Your blood sugar rises a lot. If it's sweet potato, it rises less. So there are certain ways of picking foods that are generating. And what about fruit? That eternal conflict between is fruit good for you or is food bad for you? Uh, the jury is in. Ah. Fruit is fine. Oh, yes. Okay. Fruit is not, not only is fruit fine, but fruit is vitamin rich and it's good. Fruit has those natural sugars nature was hoping you'd pick. And so if most people's sweet taste comes from table sugar, drowning everything, throw that out, pick the fruit. That's what nature wanted you to have. Oh my God, it's such great news because I love sugar and it's been one of the toughest things for me to hold off on. And so I'm thrilled to hear you say now, of course, I used to eat a pound of grapes. That's not a good thing. But I think even just you know, a few grapes is, is fantastic. Great. All right. Chapter three. What is the revolution in type one diabetes? Will diet help type one if you've already been diagnosed? Dr. Neil, what's, what's the verdict on that one? Yeah, this is the most amazing thing. Type one diabetes means that the insulin producing cells of the pancreas are gone. They're not there anymore. So if a person has type one diabetes for the rest of their life, they need a source of insulin. That means injections. Um, you can change your diet as much as you want. You're still gonna need some insulin injections. So should you change your diet? Absolutely, here's why. Um, if a person has type one diabetes, it's not the high blood sugar that's gonna kill you. What's going to happen for most people, what's going to happen, the damage is damage to the blood vessels, the blood vessels to the heart, to the eyes, to the kidneys, to the extremities. The blood vessels are attacked by the diabetes process. So I don't want any cholesterol in my diet. I don't want any animal fat in my diet. I want to protect those blood vessels. So if a person 
follows a healthy plant-based diet, a, a vegan diet, keeps the oils low. Um, the, ar the arteries are really protected. And so that heart attack hopefully isn't gonna happen. It, this is a way of making the complications not occur. The other thing that it does is it tends to reduce insulin doses. And I'm never sure why this happens, but if a person might need, you name it, a certain number of units of insulin, hmm. before they change their diet, they need a whole lot less once they follow a healthy diet. So the answer is you still follow the same diet as for type two, for type one, you're still gonna need some insulin, but you'll need less, and the complications are less likely to happen. Oh, that's very, very encouraging. And can someone follow a diet to prevent type one? So can the same diet actually help in prevention? We don't know for sure, but we think so, and here's why. Um, when you look into the blood of a person who is newly diagnosed with type one diabetes, you find something in the blood. Those are antibodies. Mm. Antibodies are proteins, little protein molecules, that are like little torpedoes that are trying to destroy viruses or destroy bacteria. But in this case, those antibodies have destroyed the insulin producing cells of the pancreas. Where do they come from? Antibodies are usually sparked by some protein that you ingested. What could that be? Uh, it could be a virus, but there's a lot of evidence that it could be cow's milk products. So our advice is that babies need milk they need mom's milk, they need mother's milk, human breast milk, and that human babies should not be exposed to milk from a cow or any other animal. And there's a lot of evidence that when kids are breastfed, their, reduced, their risk of getting type one diabetes goes way, 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 way down. So step one in preventing uh, type one diabetes is to breastfeed kids from day one and to not expose them to, to the antigens, which is, are in cow's milk. That's probably the most important thing. Uh, stay tuned, there's more testing of this going on, but I think that's probably the most important strategy for prevention. That sounds great. All right, the next chapter, which is the powerful new menu and the powerful new foods that you can eat to reverse diabetes. So how do we get the diet started? Okay, um, first of all, what is it that we're, that we're gonna eat? Um, certain things we're gonna set aside, and certain things we're gonna bring in and really emphasize. The things that we wanna emphasize are all those things that build those bad fats into my cells and make my insulin not work anymore. So what's that? I wanna set aside the animal products and the added oils. But what do I wanna emphasize? Four things, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and legumes. Legumes, that's, that's, that really means beans and peas and lentils. So, Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes. Emphasize those. Now, now those, that doesn't sound like food. Those sounds like ingredients. Um, so the way that translates is, let's say I make uh, spaghetti with a tomato sauce. Well, spaghetti is a grain. And the tomato is a fruit, although some people call it a vegetable. But, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm combining those two. Or I could have uh, a pasta bean dish or beans and rice with vegetables on the side. So the idea is to, to use these four food groups as ingredients. And th that's really the basis of the diet. Um, I'll give you, we're gonna talk more about this in a later program, but the way I encourage people to jump into it is to always focus on the short term. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna test out different ways of eating, see how we like it, mm -hmm. and uh, really build confidence as opposed to saying for the rest of your life, you're never gonna have another whatever. That sounds too daunting. Well, we go, that's where diets fall apart, right? The moment you say to me, this is for the rest of your life, I'm going, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, we make it really simple. I've never seen anybody unable to do it. 
you mentioned pasta and I'm sort of blown away because I thought we were not allowed to eat a lot of the, the white flour or, yep. or anything that might. So when you talk about pastas, could you clarify what kind of pastas are these? Yeah, it's really shocking to people. Um, 2003, we were funded by NIH to do a head-to-head -head trial of the, the diet I'm describing, a low-fat vegan diet versus a conventional diet. And the low-fat vegan diet, um, I mean, it just won hands down. It was three wow. times, three three times better at controlling uh, blood sugar, and it was setting aside the animal products, uh, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans were emphasized as I as I mentioned earlier, and pasta is a grain, um, but it's made from flour, and if you take white flour, and you make dough out of it, and you put yeast in it and make it rise, you're you're making bread. Mm -hmm. What you're going to discover is your blood sugar goes up. You take the same flour and you make spaghetti out of it. You don't put any yeast in it and your blood sugar doesn't really go up very much. Oh. Why is that? Because when you chew the bread, your, the, all those air pockets that came from the yeast, all the bubbles in the bread, um, in your stomach, the stomach acids and enzymes go in your digestive tract, go in and they just digest the carbohydrate really fast. Uh, spaghetti and other pastas, no matter how much you chew them up, it's much more dense than bread, and it just digests really slowly. So we allowed our, our participants to have it. Would you be better with whole grain pasta? Sure. But even with white spaghetti, um, it still has very little effect on, on blood sugar. Now, is it better al dente? Yeah. Um, but we allow our, our participants to have spaghetti depending on what they put on top. That's, that's the key. No butter and no cheese. No butter, the Alfredo sauce, sorry guys. The ground beef sauce, out. Dang, well, it's still pretty delicious though. Fall oh, delicious, well, let me tell you something. Put some fresh basil, some oh, real, yeah. some, some nice new tomatoes on there, or make, um, I don't know if, you, if you've had pesto sauces. Yeah. You really can get advantage, now I'm, I'm not talking about cheesing it up. There are ways to make this light, delicious, out of this world, sometimes people add beans to it. Um, fabulous. I agree. The I agree. best of the Mediterranean. Must be lunchtime. Yeah, you got it. So, um, so what about volume control? When you did this particular trial, did, is there a certain amount of volume that you're restricting? And then, of course, the very important intermittent fasting question, do you restrict eating between certain hours? Um, people were, in, in the study that I described, people were allowed to eat as much as they want, mm. as, as many times a day as they wanted. Um, there was no limit on calories or carbohydrates at all. Um, that's in the vegan group. Now, if in a conventional diet, where you're trying to tell, help people to lose weight, you cut calories, they limit carbohydrates, and all that kind of stuff, those people do not do as well as a person following a low-fat vegan diet with no calorie limit at all. And now the reason for that is on a vegan diet, everything you're eating is from a plant. Mm -hmm. Plants have fiber, fiber fills you up, but it doesn't really have any calories. So your appetite is naturally turned off. And eventually you're going to say, I've had enough. And then when you measure the calories, it really wasn't that much. 
I have to tell you a joke. A friend of mine did this vegan diet and on day three, she called me. So one of our health boot camps um, is a fabulous vegan program. And so she was on it and she called me. She goes, you know, it's because you're my friend. I'm telling you this, but oh my God, I cannot eat this food anymore. Like I stopped eating and I couldn't stop laughing because the doctor and I would put the program together. That had been his assertion that the reason people lose weight and actually feel so much better is because the volume goes down because the addictive foods like the ice creams and the cheeses are no longer in the menu. And the reason we tend to overeat so much is because of the addictive nature of some of these foods. And when you take those out, you know, like you may overindulge in a cheesy beef lasagna, but you're never going to indulge in carrots and hummus. Right. So, um, yeah, that, that's right. That, that, that's right. You know, and the other piece of it is that Velveeta is not from a plant. <laughs> so, so it doesn't have any fiber. And so you get every calorie that's in it. And that's true of chicken and salmon and so forth. And, and so people eat these foods and they tend to overdo it because there isn't enough fiber in there to fill them up and turn off uh, the, the, the eating drive in the brain. What about intermittent fasting? Um, I fasted this morning between about nine and 11. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, you can do it if you want to, it won't hurt you. Okay. But, but, but it's not part of what we do. Okay, fantastic. What about weight control on this particular diet? Automatic. Uh, people start losing weight on day one. Now that's if you have weight to lose. If you're already skinny, um, you're not gonna just blow away. But okay. most, most people who have type two diabetes have some weight they'd like to lose. And this is a really, really effective way to do it. It's more effective than any other approach that I'm aware of because the foods uh, naturally, because of the fiber, as I mentioned, they, they help the, the um, appetite center to be satisfied naturally. Uh, they also change our metabolism a little bit um, so that you're burning calories a little bit better than you were before. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. How do we get started on this amazing reversing diabetes program? Okay. Everybody's going to be nervous. When people are thinking about doing a vegan diet for their diabetes, they're, they're, they're nervous. They think, okay, if I go vegan, does that mean I have to acquire a taste for folk music now? How, oh my God, do I have to wear a tie-dye? You know, all these images they have about going vegan. Um, there's, there's a way that we have done this in our research studies to introduce it that I've never seen anybody unable to do it. We break it into two steps. Step one, take seven days. And during those seven days, don't take anything out of your diet. Okay. You, what you want to do is take a week and just think about foods that you might like that happen not to have animal products in them and make a list. I want breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks. So write it down on a piece of paper. All right, I uh, haven't made oatmeal since I was a kid. I wonder if I'll like it. Well, write it down, mm. and then you discover, okay, if I put some cinnamon and blueberries and strawberries on it, it's pretty good. All right, that stays on my list. Um, for lunch, um, I make chili with meat. Would a bean chili be any good? I don't know, let's, let's try it. Okay. Um, I haven't tried uh, almond milk. I don't know if it tastes any good on my cereal or not. So seven days, we're going to try out new foods. Seven days is enough time. You'll find them. Now, at the end of seven days, I want you to take step two, which is three weeks with all the foods that you identified that you liked. Now we're going to eat them for 21 days. So for 21 days, no animal products at all. Okay. Eat the oils really low and eat the foods that you already identified as winners during the next 21 days. After this three weeks is done, two things will have happened. The first is physically, you're different. 
your blood sugar is falling, you're losing weight, your energy is better, your digestion is better. The second thing is your tastes are changing. Mm. You're starting to like the taste of vegetables and fruits and, and things that you hadn't really thought about much before. And so at that point, three weeks in, now you're thinking, all right, I get this. Now I'm with you. Now week four, that's going to be a snap. You're free to stop. Mm. Every patient says, are you kidding? Oh, wow. I, I'm doing great. I want this momentum to keep going. So break it into two steps, a week to, of checking out the possibilities, three-week test drive, and then take it from there. I love it. And, you know, for the rest of you that might be thinking, well, how do I do this on my own? We're going to have a health boot camp for it. And you can get support, and we can all do this together as a group. So I love it. Thank you so much. Next one, weight control and diabetes. Dr. Neil, how much of a factor is weight or obesity in diabetes? Weight's a big issue. Um, for type 2 diabetes, the vast majority of people with, di with type 2 are overweight. And they got weight they want to lose. And losing the weight will not only help their diabetes control, but it also takes the pressure off their heart. It helps their blood pressure to come down. It reduces their risk of cancer and stroke. So losing that extra weight is a good idea. So how do we do get into weight control in this program? We did uh, a research study a number of years ago where we brought in 64 women. They, don't, they were all overweight, moderately to severely, and they had all done every diet known to humanity. And what we said to them is two things. Keep the animal products off your plate and keep the vegetable oils low. And what we discovered was two things happened. As they, were, as they went along, their appetite was satisfied sooner, as we talked about in an earlier segment. That's because you're suddenly eating high-fiber foods. You're eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And when you eat a lot of fiber, your stomach has the fiber in it, mm. the fiber holds water, and you think you ate a lot of food, but in truth, you ate a lot less than before. So this kind of diet is gonna be um, helping your appetite to turn off a couple of hundred calories sooner than it would otherwise. But, it, but it does one other thing. People came into our laboratory. We measure their metabolic rate. What I mean is how fast is your body burning calories. We can measure that. And what we find is that in the after meal period, when you're digesting food and you ought to be burning calories a little faster during digestion, for some people, their, their ramp up in calorie burn is not very strong. Oh. After they go on the diet that I just described, their calorie burning speed increases in, in our study about 16%. Not huge, but it's enough that it gives you that extra edge. Yeah. So the reason people lose weight um, is that their appetite is turned off sooner and their metabolism is stronger. Now, one other thing I, I need to emphasize, you can make all this fail mm. by eating foods that are really, really calorie dense. Which foods are those? If you're avoiding animal products, that's good. But what if you let a lot of oils or oily foods like nuts and guacamole come into your life? Those foods are so calorie dense that they're going to slow down your weight loss. So if you got weight that you want to lose, don't just avoid the animal products, keep the oils and the oily foods, I'm talking peanut butter, keep those things to, <laughs> to a meal, you know what I mean. Um, that, Macadamia nuts and cashew nuts are the bane of my existence, yes. There you go. Um, so, keep, so keeping those to a minimum is gonna help you too. And uh, don't go low carb, don't cut calories, just let the foods do the work for you and be gradual, don't try to lose 
weight really, really fast. Let yourself lose weight bit by bit by bit. If you're losing a pound a week, that's fine. That's 52 pounds a year. Or if it's a half a pound a week, fine. That's 26 pounds a year. Let it, let it come off at its own rate and you're gonna be fine. If you wanna add exercise, so much the better. But if you can't exercise, because you got bad joints or a weak heart or whatever, you can still lose weight with this program. It's very exciting, very exciting. Yeah. All right, Dr. Neil, how do we test and how do we track? Okay, great. So let's say you've changed your diet and you're hoping to see that you can really improve. What do I wanna know uh, when I'm at the doctor's office? The first thing that's gonna be on your mind probably is your blood sugar control. That's with a test called A1C or hemoglobin A1C. And the doctor does the test, it's just a simple blood test, and I want it to be below seven if a person has diabetes. If I can get it down below 6.5, you don't have diabetes anymore. If you can get it down below 5.7, you don't even have prediabetes. So those, those are the numbers to, to strive for. But if you're above seven, that's diabetes in not very good control. Um, while you're at it, check your cholesterol because the biggest risk with diabetes is heart problems. So when your doctor does a cholesterol test, the thing to really zero in on is your bad cholesterol. LDL, low density lipoprotein. Uh, I want that to be below about 100, okay? Sometimes the numbers are a little more liberal. I would like to see that below 100. Some people would say even below 80. But if it's below 100, you're doing pretty well. Um, now, when you go into the doctor's office, make sure that you do, you're not just a blood test. Um, have the, the doctor look at your body too. Your eyes can be affected by this disease. Once a year, have a good dilated exam. This is not going to the eye to, to the eyeglasses guy. Right. This is the person who puts in the drops, expands your pupil, and looks at your retina. And when you go see your regular doctor, every time you go in there, undo the laces on your shoes, kick them off, throw off the socks, and sit there waiting for your doctor to come in. And when the doctor comes in, your doctor is going to look at your feet too. Oh. Because people with diabetes, they get foot sores that don't heal very well. You want your doctor to check your feet. And this is, this is my secret way of making sure the doctor doesn't forget. Oh, what a great tip. That's yeah. actually brilliant and so simple. One of the things I've heard more lately so is get your blood sugar tested actually not just a fasting, but just regular you've eaten and now you're getting your blood sugar tested based on how it's reacting after eating food. What are your thoughts on this? I think you, you certainly can do that, um, and many people do. And when we do a specific test called glucose tolerance testing, we're doing exactly that in a really organized way. So I'll give you a measured amount of glucose, and then I'll measure it every half hour. And so that can be a good idea. That gives you extra information as well. And the hemoglobin A1C that I mentioned is a rough guide to how your body is handling glucose really throughout, uh, throughout week, uh, one week after another after another. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's all these cool new wearables as well. I mean, I'm in Silicon Valley technology, so there's things that are, especially in Europe, that are available where you strap it on and it just sort of helps you track during the day what foods you're reacting to. And that way you can start to see, oh, you know, my body reacts disproportionately to, let's say, broccoli versus white potato. I'm just totally making that up because I, right. I would react negatively to broccoli, then I wouldn't have to eat it anymore. But, um, what do you think of these new tools, technologies for testing and tracking purposes? Any, any cool one that you really like? Yeah, well, I think they can be handy. And I'll tell you one other, one other thing. It, it's, they're not just a guide to show you if your blood sugar is, say, going too high. But they can also be useful if your blood sugar is going too low. Mm -hmm. And this will happen on this diet. 
a person comes in here um, or they're reading the book, they're watching uh, this program now, and they say, I want to try that. They go vegan, and it's Monday. On about Friday, they wake up in the morning, and they're feeling shaky, mm. and they're sweating, and they're feeling nervous, and they're feeling so hungry, they're ready to eat the sofa. What's that about? <laughs> what they don't know is they change their diet. Their diet is bringing their blood sugar down, but their medicines stayed as powerful as before. So the combination of a good diet and the medicines means your blood sugar is going too low. And your brain is saying, I'm not getting enough glucose here to work properly. And so you start feeling, feeling bad. Um, that is the time to call your doctor and say, I think, I think my blood sugar is too low. And the doctor will say, I'll hang on the phone, stick your finger and check your blood glucose right now. I'm in a hole. So you stick your finger and it's too low. And then this is the one and only time Okay. The doctor says, I want you to have some junk food because I want to get your blood sugar right up. And now let's ratchet you off your drugs. So what happens is when people follow this program, their need for medication diminishes. You work with your doctor. The doctor ratchets you off your medicines okay. as the foods exert their, their benefit. Which good home tracker do you like? What do you recommend for tracking, kind of pricking that finger at home? Um, I don't have a preference for it. There, there are more and more good products every day and give it a try. See the one that really works for you. Fantastic, that sounds great. All right, so next chapter, how do you maintain this perfect diet, which is gonna reverse diabetes and get you back your health in a highly imperfect world? Dr. Neil, what are some great tips and tools that we can all use? You know, people eat out more than ever before. It used to be that people would eat out at a restaurant once a month because they saved up some money and they would splurge. You know, nowadays it can be almost every day that people are doing, or we're traveling, we're on the road. Uh, tip one, think international. What I mean is, um, if you're going to a restaurant that features Italian cuisine, they've got all kinds of dishes um, that happen to be easily done without animal products at all. You can have the spaghetti with the arrabbiata sauce, marinara sauce, or whatever, the grilled vegetables. Um, Chinese. They've got all kinds of things made from rice and vegetables and tofu. Uh, Japanese, yeah, there's fish sushi, but that's not what we're talking about. Why not have the sushi wrapped up with cucumbers and other things and de the delectable salads? How about Mexican? They can make you veggie fajitas, bean burritos. So think international. Um, there are so many cuisines that have healthy foods as part of their staples. Now, the next challenge, I'm going fast food. Is there something that I can eat? You gotta be a little discerning because there's a lot of bad stuff there too. But more and more fast food chains do have veggie burgers. If you're going to a submarine sandwich place, they are more than happy to leave off the meat and cheese and to pile it high with lettuce and tomatoes and olives and cucumbers and spinach and a little red wine vinegar. You're gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. um, at the Mexican fast food place, skip the meat taco, have the bean burrito, hold the cheese. You're gonna be okay. Um, when you are traveling, uh, when you check into a hotel, um, what you can often find is if you request a refrigerator, mm. you can stop at the store. Um, if you happen to, to luck out and get a whole kitchenette, no yeah. problems whatsoever. If you're traveling internationally, call the airline 48 hours before you fly. Let them know you want a, a vegan meal. They'll have it for you, and you're going to get served first. So those are just a few tips that will help you get through this unfortunately imperfect world, but you'll be able to master it. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, on planes, actually, my mother-in-law is diabetic. Uh, we also just all order a diabetic meal. So planes these days actually have specific meals just for diabetics, which is great. And to your point, you know, you get served first, which is really nice. Yep. Um, 
I had a really hard time when I kind of switched my diets around. I did it for 15 months. It was a really long time. And I had my hardest thing, Dr. Neil, was actually television. Like, you know, you, you're watching something and up pops that cheesy, drippy pizza or, you know, the, all these restaurants have these amazing looking foods. Any suggestions on how do you handle, I mean, so what I did is I would basically either, you know, only watch Netflix where there was no ads. And so I couldn't possibly be tempted. And mine was chocolate. If I saw anything with chocolate, I just literally had to run out and get some. <laughs> what, what recommendations? Every, you know, what you're saying is true. Half the commercials are for burgers uh, uh, that are piled higher or cheesy things or candy or sodas or whatever. Um, everybody handles it different. You know, one way of doing it is to, to, to mute it and, and, and not watch during the commercials. But another way of doing it is keep watching. Because what you'll notice is that after the food commercial is done, the other half of the commercials are for medicines, for all, all the health problems that you're going to have from eating that. And so if you've got diabetes, that means go for it with, you know, this medication, that medication. You're thinking, what kind of insane world is this? It, it, it makes those burgers not look so good. And I love those disclaimers at the end, you know, this medicine for, you know, your, your depression may give you depression, may kill you, may cause suicide. I mean, I, I love how half of the disclaimers basically say that the medicine doesn't really work. Everybody's um, trying to sell you something. So um, be aware of that. And it, it, it makes those junk foods not look so good. And I got to tell you, the, the, um, my good friend Mary Lou Henner always says, nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. And that's, that's the truth. Oh, so true. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.